Welcome to the Alight on Wellbeing podcast series. As life at home and at work converge, employee well-being has never been more essential to maintaining high-performing organizations. At Alight, well-being is at the heart of how we operate and serve our clients. We believe in the connection between a healthy mind, body, wallet, and life, grounded in inclusion, so that all employees live their best life at home and at work. We're glad you could join us today to learn the latest and greatest on employee well-being. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Alight on Wellbeing podcast. Today is an awesome day. You know, it's not that just kids are going back to school. We recognize that's happening, but we also know there are so many organizations thinking about open enrollment. I know, right? For the typical employee, probably not to front of mind, but for the typical benefits administrator, this is we are in crunch time right now, and and so we thought we'd help. And we've been doing benefits for like almost 40 years here at Alight. And so we thought, let's bring some of our best experts uh, and get their point of view uh, at this crazy time of the year. Karen and Lane. Lane, why don't you introduce yourself first? Great. Hi, I'm Lane Thomas-Conway. Um, I am our engagement services strategy thought leader here at Alight. I've been here about 18 years and excited to share with you kind of the employee perspective today. I'm actually kind of our voice of the mindset study here, which is our kind of seminal study around employee perceptions around their um, employee experience and their well-being. We've been doing it for 13 years and excited to share with you some data and some insights um, from our clients as well. Awesome. Love it, Lane. Karen, how about yourself? Well, hi, everybody. Thanks for having me today, Matt. I'm Karen Frost, and um, I have been doing uh, enrollments for as long as I can remember. I've been with the firm for decades. I lead a strategy for the health business, and I started out actually processing enrollments for very small clients early in my days. Um, And so it's a very important topic to me. And um, as Lane and I have talked about these topics for years, we love to come at this sort of from three angles. Like, what is the employer's benefit strategy? Um, How are they communicating about that? And then how are they enabling the employee to to do that enrollment or or what you might call benefits delivery? And so we present often on these things together. And it is just uh, we're going to have a lot of fun talking about how we can help with enrollment today. I love it. Fantastic. So let's let's set the scene a little bit for those that maybe are listening to this that are not, you know, benefit administrators or dealing with major impactful changes right now to their benefits or or breezing through this because they've already got everything locked and loaded, Karen, and and they're getting to enjoy. Yeah, we love it. You're done already. (laughs) They're getting to sit on their boat for the second half of August. But uh I guess both of you, I know you how you regularly interact with, you know, employers, I would say big and small, because we have a we have a very broad reach of employers that we work with. And, uh, you know, I would say, what are you seeing out there? But I think it's probably better to say, what would you expect kind of folks in that are listening to this, uh, those organizations? What are they focusing on right now, Karen? Yeah, so it, it's um, I actually looked uh, at our book of business to just, you know, see what was going on. And um, we all keep referencing COVID, but I'll, I promise uh, I'll try to only do it once. And what COVID did for benefits was it it put a lot of stuff on hold, and so we didn't see a lot of plan changes over the past, over those prior couple of years. And so this year's the year 
um, we see about 40% of employers making fairly significant plan changes, and then another 40% making sort of small to big changes. So that's that's the clear majority making changes in their plan. Why are they doing that? Yeah. Well, costs are going up. And so, um, you know, a big important reason that employers and all, you know, all of our listeners are um, are making their plan changes is offer really good benefits in a cost effective way. Um, so so that's number one. And then the other piece, and, and Lane may hit on this a little bit more, is meeting employee needs. And so we heard a lot of um, mental health needs and other things. And so this is the time of year through plan changes that employers can address some of those. And so I would say those are the couple reasons that I see such a big um, push for plan changes for this year. Yeah, Lane, are you are you are employees, do you think, expecting big changes or what are they what are they kind of thinking now as they're starting to think to the fall and think to open enrollment? Well, I think we can safely say that probably none of them are thinking about open enrollment quite yet, um, (laughs) unless they are truly a benefit geek um, like the rest of us. But when that time comes, right, I do think that cost becomes such a um, a big consideration for them, right? When um, in our latest mindset study, right, we asked some questions around, like, are you more concerned, um, you know, due to the current kind of economic um, uncertainty, right? And we do see that um, on the rise, right? We see people, you know, um, reducing their their long and short-term savings. Um, we see them regretting healthcare decisions based on um, you know, cost and, and jumping into treatment without kind of researching it. So we know that that when that time comes and the focus becomes on that for employees, right, that cost is is always a driver and probably even more so this year. No, I completely agree. I know there's so many other factors, you know, going along with that that uptick in cost that we see just uh, just a, across kind of general uh, an employee's ecosystem of all the things they need to spend money on. I, I absolutely can can recognize you know where that would where where that point of view would come from, Lane. I think I'm. You said you're only going to use the word COVID one more time. I I, I get to use it, right? Do we each get a one COVID card? But I think it is really relevant because I think it represents a point in time that that a, a lot of I don't want to say crazy happened from a benefits perspective, but a lot of attempts to support employees, kind of dollars be damned, so to speak happened and they were trying to figure out anything they could do to support their employees but also themselves because every employer also is every benefit administrator happens to also be an employee i bet that shocks both of you um but you know (laughs) kind of as we think about that kind of through and now after the pandemic you know I, i think there was this kind of rise rise of the era of an employee we see it in a lot of different places uh you know even from you know the the how people are switching jobs, switching organizations, et cetera. And, and I know that, that each of these companies is trying to be more competitive in their hiring and more competitive in trying to retain a lot of their, their high quality talent, Karen. Some of those companies have added more options. I think there's some other employers that are feeling the financial fr- pressure and, and they've reduced the number of offerings they have. I, I know we just did a, bo- a Burson survey that said, you know, more is not necessarily better. Kind of what's your take on what you're seeing uh, with the clients that you work with on on kind of the trends of are, are we seeing more benefits? Are we seeing better benefits? Are we seeing less benefits? And how they're competing with, with each other for those employees? 
Yeah. So maybe let me let me simplify it to start and then we can get into a little more detail. So I think you hit it on the head in terms of, of there was a lot of spending the during um, during the pandemic that is being reevaluated and the budget is the budget. So now we're seeing employers say, how do I get my most value out of the budget dollars I have? Because I may or may not be able to increase budget by very much. So some of those programs that they offered during um, you know, during those lockdown periods, they're reevaluating and saying, hmm, do I need all of those different pieces or can I take some of my existing vendors and use those to cover three things instead of just one? So we definitely are seeing more consolidation around those programs that um, wrap around uh, the core benefits. The core benefits themselves, I would say the the design changes I mentioned uh, a minute ago is a bit of a sort of right sizing of how much choice is enough, how do I meet the needs of employees so that um, those folks that maybe are at lower incomes levels, a high deductible is not as much of a barrier for them. So I, I'm looking at it as more of a right sizing of trying to balance individual employee needs with um, the, the budget I have and trying to maximize that budget on behalf of my employees. Like, what do I, employees think? There's got to yeah, be that's an what employee I was perspective. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think benefits as a whole is becoming a smaller part of the equation when it comes to what you value. Um, you know, when we ask people why they plan to stay at their organization, um, you know, benefits... 22% last year said that, that you know, competitive benefits was a reason to stay. That number's down to 8% this year, right? So it's just wow. not the driver that it was. When we ask people who've recently left a job in the last 18 months, why did you leave? Again, 8% of them said it was because they wanted better benefits, right? So it's it's just not quite the same driver that it, you know, pay and benefits used to make up 50% of the reason. And now that's down to less than 40%, right? So we're seeing the the kind of rise of things that I would say maybe fall outside the core though, right? Those kind of well-being programs, the workplace flexibility, right? And how do you kind of take that total package and really communicate that? So I, th I think that's part of the, the factor. I think the other part is that from a kind of a talent perspective, right? People are wanting to feel supported, right? And they want to make sure that they can get to what they need. And that's becoming much more critical because otherwise, right, when we're talking about more offerings, right, there's that, um, you know, analysis paralysis type of thing, right, where you just get overwhelmed with like, oh, my gosh, I'm struggling with X. Do I go to this vendor or this or this tool, right? And so how do you help them kind of curate and navigate is so much more critical than it was from a pre-pandemic standpoint where there was just, to be honest, so fewer options. I, uh, that is, I, I mean, very profound, uh, Lane. Do we, you know, we're in a four to five generation workforce right now too. Do you see sp anything sp sp specific to you know, groups of generations, or is that kind of a blanket statement now that, you know, a lot of people have preconceived notions about some of the the, the, the younger uh, members of our workforce. Is that limited to them, or is that kind of across 
you know, the entire workforce that we're seeing, you know, some of that desire to move kind of past kind of core benefits, you know, that's kind of just a check mark, and it's and it's all these other residual things that they're they're really focused on. I think that absolutely the data shows that the younger generations, um, and what I would say a particular focus on Gen Z, Gen Z and millennials are very different, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we look at our data, the millennials, there tends to be, um, I think they've, they've made it through the workforce long enough that they're a little bit more traditional in their thinking, whereas the Gen Zers are very different, right? And so they really minimize things like benefits much more so um, than a millennial. So I think that shift is going to continue to kind of play itself out as more Gen Zers enter the workforce. Oh, what what for us benefit geeks, Lane, what a fascinating thing to start (laughs) watching for the next little bit. It's going to be it's going to be really interesting, especially because some of those Gen Zers, right, are still on their parents' benefits. So maybe that's also potentially a reason. I I think that that there's there's all kinds of, of really interesting data points. But but unfortunately, for a lot of these companies, we're kind of past the time that they can make changes or or. We're at least approaching kind of D-Day uh, for for the coming year. I guess for those companies that still have a lot of outstanding items, and I think, Elaine, I'm going to start with you. From a communication perspective or a strategy perspective of how to start, you know, really kicking off this benefit season, you know, can you talk about some of those things that these employers, even this late in the game, should at least be thinking about? Yeah, I mean, I think the good news is it's not too late from kind of a communication and engagement standpoint, right? There is still time to make sure that, you know, you're preparing not just, you know, the the administration of those enrollment decisions, but you're getting ready to kind of educate and more importantly, engage people in their decisions, right? And And what we know is that people need to take an active role in this, right? And a lot of times, right, I've I've done my fair share of enrollments over the years, and I love it when a client is going in and saying, you know, our goal for this is no noise. <laughs> and, and you're just like, um, well, one, that's not possible. And two, it's really not an appropriate goal, right? If you don't have noise, you don't have engagement, right? You're going to end up seeing that noise, right, on January 5th when people are like, what do you mean I can't go see my doctor, right? So what we need is the appropriate level of noise at the appropriate time to demonstrate that people are paying attention and that they're making careful decisions, right? And so the more Mm -hmm. decision support tools we can give them, the more um, guidance options, whether that's digital or in person, right, the more communication and education opportunities we have, right? And and using kind of the best of media that's out there, right? And knowing that, right, people have different learning styles and how do we serve up information so that it really resonates with them, right? Whether that's video, whether that's through kind of text messages and nudges, whether that's through guided experience, um, or, or is it kind of more traditional digital guide that you're able to kind of navigate through? There's lots of options out there. Don't leave any stone unturned at this point, right? Look for ways to get your people thinking at the right times, right? And there's there's lots of opportunities to do that with your partners, with your vendors, with your platform, and make sure that you're taking advantage of those. 
Yeah, no noise. And what Karen talked about at the beginning, like 80% making big changes to giant changes probably doesn't work. (laughs) Karen, talk about some of the resources they can use at this point still. You know, here we are in August. Well, so I, I love what Lane said and like the whole no noise thing. I just I just cringed myself because, Matt, as you're getting at, if you have a multi-million dollar savings goal, no noise is going to get you a big miss on your savings goal. So, um, you know, communication is that first step, but there's all kinds of tools that, and resources you can make available. So um, it might be through your benefits admin platform that has a whole variety of decision support. It might be your health plans who have provider data that helps people choose plans wisely. Back to your point, uh, Lane, a minute ago of is my doctor in the network? Um, you can get that from your health plan. You can get it from your benefits administrator. Um, the, the the tools available on lots of these sites is, are really important. I love our tools. Um, but I don't want to, people to think that digital is the only option. Uh, more and more, um, depending on the workforce and what's going on, we're seeing a big uptick in I want to talk to somebody. And so... Um, you know, it, it might not be an industry by industry thing, and it's more what's going on. So if I have that big multi-million dollar cost savings goal or whatever the appropriate big goal is for an organization of your size, you know, having those licensed agents that can give me advice is very comforting to a lot of folks. Um, they, they can explain soup to nuts, what the benefits are, why they're important to me, and help me really optimize that package for myself and my family um, to meet my full benefits needs. And so um, that combination, back to you, I love the term, uh, don't leave any, any stone unturned. I, I think, you know, don't just rely on digital. Um, it, consider that human component as a supplement, especially those licensed agents who can really give the advice people need to make smart choices. Yeah, the pandemic locked all of us in our houses. And I think in a lot of organizations, they couldn't keep up via a human with the demand for the services and the questions, and they didn't have answers. And I know they they sent a lot of people to digital and was a birth of a lot of really cool digital tools. But I completely agree, Karen, the desire to, to talk to somebody and talk through a question that's not through some weird routing tree. Um, it's super important because because there's nothing more frustrating than than being in that situation where you have a specific question and because of the quote-unquote smart routing, you can't get any smart answers. Um, is there any other things that employers should think about, Lane, from an employee perspective of where they see value, either with, by the way, personalized tools uh, more of a high-tech scenario or really personalized guidance, a high-touch scenario? Anything for employers to think about that from their employee perspective? Yeah, Matt, I mean, I cannot underscore enough that it isn't just about offering these things. It's about what's your strategy to get people to use them, right? It, it You have to make sure that you are putting kind of equal weight on how you're promoting these tools, how you're guiding people to these tools, and how you're I'm going to use the word incentivize, but I don't mean like giving them money to use them, right? But really showing them what the value is because 
they will see it once they use it, right? So we ask a lot of questions. We ask a series of questions around different types of well-being communication vehicles, you know, well-being sites and well-being newsletters. We ask around a bunch of different um I would call it decision support tools, right? So cost clarity tools and health plan guidance and um, spending tools and expert support guidance. And then we ask about navigation services, right? So personalized navigation, both electronic as well as face-to-face -face or on the phone, right? All of those, you know, uh, clinical um, guidance, all of those things, right? And what we see and has been consistent is that if somebody is just like, hey, do you think this is valuable? Typically, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 60% of people would say that any one of those things is valuable, just in and of itself. But then when we drill down and say, do you have it available? And then we ask, have you used it? And we kind of average that out. It goes up to over 82% of people say it's valuable. And for certain things, it's even higher, right? Wow. It's in the 90s. And so... What we have to make sure that we're doing is that we're not just saying like, hey, we checked the box. We offered this service, right? Like, oh, our our health plan offers this. Like, that's not up to us to push people to it, right? But you're missing the boat, number one, because you're, you're just kind of wasting what is this great opportunity, but you're also not helping people, right? And they're going to see the value, right? I mean, these things exist for a reason, but we've got to do a better job of pushing people to use them. Because at the end of the day, right, that's what's going to make the difference so that people are making those kind of more confident decisions because they've used everything at their disposal to make a better one. You know, we set this whole conversation up kind of to bring in my employer expert and my employee expert when it comes to this. You guys have hit so many major home runs. I think the one Obviously, they'll stick with me. That high idea that silence is deafening or should be deafening. And if it's not deafening, then you've got you've got some other problems. There's so many good ones there. Um, Karen, from your perspective, any final thoughts is our kind of employer perspective expert. Uh, any final thoughts for anyone that's listening? Uh, maybe just maybe just one quick thing. Um, and, and Lane, you sparked this thought with the, with your last answer. Uh a lot of employers, I mean, enrollment is annually is something that's a big area of focus, and you spend a lot of money on communication and other things. But to Lane's point, it doesn't end there. So as employers are still working on their communication strategy around enrollment, get everybody to take full advantage of, you know, the tools, the human support, et cetera, but then also plan to continue that ongoing communication and engagement year-round, because that's really when people will see the value. So, Lane, I couldn't agree more. Uh, we call the annual enrollment sometimes the Super Bowl of benefits, uh, but you got to advertise year-round. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. Lane, how about you from an employee perspective? Any Any kind of final thoughts there? Yeah, I think the one thing that I have been um, kind of combing through the data a lot, and we actually just shared the data, um, kind of our initial push out and, and to the um, public yesterday on a, on a webinar that we sponsored. But, you know, the, the probably the one of the most surprising things is we asked um, and kind of looked at employees to say, if you're a fully supported employee, right, where you are getting those navigation services, both for health and for financial, where you're having both a well-being site and mobile access to all your benefits platform, to where you're 
participating in um, employee-sponsored health plan, right, and, and in a 401k, right? So that that employee that's got the kind of full spectrum of, of platform support, right, the good news is they have better well-being, right, than the typical employee. So there's like the benefit to them, right? If 51% of all employees say they have a positive overall well-being, for those fully supported, it's 65% of them have a wow. positive overall well-being, right? That's a big difference. But there's also a benefit to you, right, <laughs> as an employer, right? 78% of them feel often or almost always productive versus under 70% of the typical employee, right? 71% of them are more likely to recommend their employee to others versus only 53% of all employees, right? So again, like when we talk about how, like, how do we help our employees, but also help ourselves, right? With more productive employees who are contributing to the bottom line, right? This is a win-win scenario, right? So investing in these things at enrollment and throughout the year, there's a payoff for both. And that's, you know, that's the best case scenario. Oh, it's truly mutual benefit benefits. <laughs> if we can double up on that. And and for those listening that are were not aware of the session uh, around our mindset study that Lane referred to, there was over a thousand people that signed up. So if you are not one of those thousand people, you can find that uh, on alight.com. We'll also make sure that we include it in the notes down below this to make sure that you can get access to that. Uh, as a listener of the podcast, Lane, Karen, thank you both so much for joining. There are there was so much goodness uh, here today. I think that there there is a lot of of insight as as you both described that could be taken during benefits enrollment season, but also as people are thinking back, maybe even in mid spring, seeing kind of cost benefit of their previous enrollments, planning their future enrollment uh, and benefits. I think there's a lot of of nuggets here that that really should should be spark spark something and, and give them a, a maybe a little bit of a different perspective uh, than they would have had if they're just kind of trying to solve the problem from the same frame of mind that created it. So thank you both so much for joining me today. And, and for everyone listening, uh, we look forward to you hearing us next time on the Alight on Wellbeing podcast. Thank you for joining us for the Alight on Wellbeing podcast. Visit alight.com to learn more about how we're connecting work and life for greater well-being. If you like what you've heard, please give us a five-star rating from wherever you listen.